Thanks, Benjamin. Thank you, worship team. Good morning, everyone. It was awesome to hear what God's doing in Beirut, as well as what he's doing right here. It's exciting last Sunday to see the Lord working and continuing to work. If you have a Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. Just real quick, if you come to church next week, two things to remember. Don't come here and don't come at 9, 15, or 11. Next week, there's going to be a banquet in here that requires them to set up all day. So what we're going to do is meet over in the gymnasium. Okay, we call that the MAC. So it's the last building that way. So if the pond's down here, it's the farthest building back. We have one service. It'll be at 10 o'clock. We still have all the children's. All the children's programs are the same. So just come over, drop your children off, but then we'll, we'll meet over there. So be praying for that. You're going to meet a lot of people. You're like, oh, I didn't know you went to this church. You'll probably your neighbors go there, the guy you work with, because we have two services. So like, hi, I'm from the second service. So just be praying. We have a lot more room over there. So <clears throat> looking forward to that. A couple other things. If you're going to help with our kids, remember that you have to be kid safe, and we need more helpers. So on May 7th, that's the following Sunday, we have a training seminar. You can go online and learn about that. If you have any needs, fill out the communication card. The youth group tonight is going to be down in Bristol. If you're interested in women's studies or softball or golf, just pay attention here. But I want you to look with me in John chapter 20. And we're going to look at verses 30 and 31 this morning. We've been going through the Gospel of John. And these two verses are so important that I'd like to take a little more time. Usually we'll cover almost a whole chapter. But these are a key summary passage that seem to really <coughs> cause us to go back and think through the book again. <coughs> Remember last week when Jesus revealed himself to doubting Thomas? And Thomas saw him and, and he called him Lord and God. Jesus says, well, Thomas, you believe, but you saw. Blessed are those who don't see and yet believe. So I want you to look with me in verse 30 and 31. These are pretty interesting verses. John wrote this book, having read the other Gospels, right? Having known that Jesus performed hundreds, probably thousands of miracles. If you were to compare the four gospel accounts, there's only 37 miracles that are recorded. So as John thought about the, the 30 that were already recorded, he thought, I'm going to specifically pick seven of them, most of them not mentioned in the other gospels, like the water into wine or the raising of Lazarus. So he says in verse 30, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of, of his disciples, so he didn't do them in a secret room with no one around, which are not written in this book. Now again, that's the Holy Spirit led him to write these. But these, these signs that John records in the Gospel of John have been written. Why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that's the Christ. In other words, to a Jewish reader, they would say, well, who is the Messiah? John says, it's Jesus. We're going to come back to that. And believing that he's the son of God, which means that you believe he's God. In the, in the Gospel of John, son of God means divine. In chapter 5 it says, they tried to stone him because he said, I'm the son of God. That means he made himself equal with God. So John says, I want you to read these miracles, especially about his death and resurrection, and believe with your heart that he's the Messiah, the divine son of God. And the result of that is you, personally, individually, will have life, in his name. In other words, you will receive eternal life. You'll, you'll be in. You will be going to heaven. 
when you make that willful decision to believe and trust Christ. And we'll come back to what that means. But in order to do that, I was thinking as I studied this phrase, many other signs. I thought, wow, I want to think about that. And so I I did some research and wondered, when was the last time you thought about the miracles of Jesus? Some of you are just getting started. You've never read them. Many of you, you know a lot of the stories, but I want to kind of point out some things that are important for us to reframe or review just because they're significant. It's not just what he said, but also what he did. So first of all, remember that throughout history, there have always been people who are skeptical and scoffers, they don't believe in miracles. The weird thing is that some of them are theologians. Like it's bad enough, you know, weird enough, but expected for an atheist to say, I don't believe Jesus did miracles. But when people who call themselves pastors and theologians say, oh, well, these, these miracles, they didn't really happen. You know, he didn't, he didn't walk on water, he was on the bank or walking on stones. He didn't feed 5,000, everyone had their lunch under their robe, and when the little boy shared his, they're like, dang, I'll share mine. So we know that a lot of people are skeptical, but sometimes also there are people who say, yeah, I believe that, but it makes no difference in their life. And so I want want us to think about, first of all, as as you read the the New Testament and you're reading the story of Jesus, there's four words that are used to describe Jesus' miracles. I read an article by a man from Dallas Seminary named Diefenbach, and he said there's three key words, but one thing he left out is one of John's favorite words for Jesus' miracles is works. Works. Jesus will say over and over again, he'll say, I do the works of God. Why are you stoning? Which work did you stone me for? But the other three are important because all all of the miracles of Jesus relate to these three words. And there's three places in the Bible where all three words are used. The words are translated miracles, wonders, and signs. So, for example, in Acts chapter 2, verse 22, Peter, when he was preaching, he said, Men of Israel, listen up. You know Jesus the Nazarene. He was attested by God with miracles, with wonders, and with signs. And you go, hmm, what's the difference? Those words are used several other places, but the first word, miracle, the word that's translated miracle in the New Testament is the same Greek word for power. It's just dunamis, from which we later got the word dynamite. So that word in and of itself doesn't have to be a miracle, but sometimes that's used to describe a miracle. And when you think about it, the point is, when you think about God doing a miracle, when you use dunamis, you're talking about the source, right? Where did that source come from? How did that happen? There was a power behind it. Now, it's interesting because in Jesus' day, Greeks, they had no problem with miracles, It was just they believed that those powers came from the gods. And then even the Jews, they had no problem with miracles. Their issue with Jesus is the source. They're going, yeah, your power comes from Satan. But at the end of the day, a miracle is a display of God's power. It focuses on who caused this to happen. But secondly, the next word is used, it's the Greek word translated wonder, signs, miracles and wonders. Now, this word highlights the effect on the people who saw it. It, The emphasis, and this word's never used by itself. It's always used next to powers or or signs. And so the idea is like when you see what happens, you're moved with awe. You're in wonder or amazement. 
So, for example, in Mark chapter 2, when Jesus healed a lame man, it says, everyone was amazed and they said, we have never seen anything like this before. So, so sometimes when you're thinking of a miracle, see God's power, sometimes it focuses on the amazement of the people that saw it. But the third one, and the one that John's most familiar with, he says, many other signs. And obviously, even when you think about the very word sign, signs are pointing to something. So when, when the Bible uses sign, it's focusing on the deeper meaning of a miracle. In other words, when I mess with my grandkids, Pop, show us your tricks. I'm like, hey, watch this. I'll pull my thumb off. There's no purpose to that. There's no sign. It's just to amaze or just to entertain. Jesus never did miracles to entertain. In fact, on more than one occasion, he said, no, I'm not going to do that. He said, show us a sign. He said, no sign will be given. Herod wanted to see a sign. No, I'm not, not going to do a sign. So they had a significance. So when you're reading the Gospels, and we should keep reading them and, and stop when we see a miracle of Jesus and say, wow, that was a display of God's power. And I should be struck with amazement. But what was the sign? What was it pointing toward? So when you think about miracles, think about the, the, the broader classification. They fall into to categories. Sometimes people classify, and a lot of people would say this, a lot of Jesus' miracles involved nature, right? Something that he did in nature, like he could turn water into wine, or he could calm the storm. Some of them, a lot of them, pertain to sickness and diseases. I mean, he, he healed a, an amazing variety of diseases. Like one woman, remember, she was bent over for 18 years. Another woman who was had a, a flow of blood for many, many years. He healed blind people, deaf people. A lot of them were physical sicknesses. But then the other sort of disease was the whole demonic realm of people who were oppressed or demonized. How many times did Jesus demonstrate his authority in the spiritual realm by casting out demons? But actually, as I thought about this, those are the three that are usually focused on. There's one other area where Jesus was doing signs. And that is when he would make predictions and then he would fulfill them. And so it's interesting. There's a word in the New Testament translated signify, right? Which actually comes from the noun of signs. And to signify is to, is to, to demonstrate. So Jesus would say, I'm going to be lifted up. I'm going to be lifted up. And then John says, the reason that they were going to crucify Christ is to signify to fulfill what he signified about how he would die. So that's a sign. If I were to say to you, hey, um, the roof's going to go flying off in two minutes. If it then happened, that would be a sign, right? It would be a, a fulfillment of what I predicted. So all of those things, as you think about them, you're like, okay, Jesus is doing these miracles. They were useful to people. They were instant. And, and interestingly, someone kind of challenged me on this this morning, but... One of the things Diefenbach pointed out was that all of the miracles seem to be related to someone's faith. So some of Jesus' miracles, they were based on his faith. Now, there's a mystery here because someone afterward goes, Jesus didn't have to have faith, he was God. And I go, well, you know what? You don't want to overemphasize his deity and forget his humanity. Jesus, though he was God, the Bible says God can't be tempted, but Jesus was tempted. The Bible says God never sleeps, but Jesus slept. God knows everything, but Jesus increased in wisdom. 
So there's this mystery here, being God and man, that somehow, as a man, Jesus learned to put his dependence and trust and faith in God. So when he prayed, sometimes when he would do a miracle, it would just be his faith. Like when he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, he, he stood up. This is John 11. He said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. That's faith. Because he couldn't see him. I know that you always hear me. That's faith. But because of the people standing here, I'm praying this way so that they might believe. But interestingly, a lot of times when Jesus did a miracle in someone's life, it wasn't just his faith, it was their faith. So on more than one occasion, Jesus would heal someone on the basis of their belief in who he was and what he could do. And so just an example, in Mark 5.34, he healed this, this woman. He said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now, sometimes we're really afraid of that. We're like, hey, this faith healing stuff. Well, I would say this. Just because you don't get healed doesn't mean that you didn't have faith. But on the other hand, it might. But we know there are times that God doesn't heal people, and that doesn't mean you lacked faith. But unbelief is a quick way to shut down miracles. In Mark chapter 6, it says, he didn't do many miracles in his hometown because of their unbelief. Oddly, sometimes it wasn't even the faith of the person being healed. It was his friends. Remember when Jesus lowered a guy through the roof? The Gospel of Mark says, says this in chapter 2. Seeing their faith, his buddies, Jesus healed the paralytic. And interestingly, unlike the... the cults and magicians of Jesus' day. He never charged for a miracle. He wasn't like, well, how about that? Why don't we wrap that up? That'll be $100, right? He always did it free and graciously and sent out his disciples to do miracles in the name of Jesus. He said, freely you receive, freely you have, freely also give. And that, that's the beauty of the gospel, isn't it? It's all about God's free and rich, undeserved grace. But I think one of the most important things, and this is what we have to reflect on, is why did he do these miracles? What was their purpose? So I want to start here, but I want to go further into some other scriptures. But let's start with this. But these have been written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. Now notice, these have been written. Okay, so we're, we're a generation away, so to speak, really 2,000 years, but we don't get to see the miracles, right? Jesus doesn't say, Tell you what, I'll come down through every generation, I'll do them again. All right, so gather around. And, and of course, in our desire to help God out, we're like, God, why'd you do them back then? They didn't have video cameras, they didn't have Skype, they couldn't Twitter, nobody could tweet it out. You know, President Trump could tell everyone about Jesus on Twitter. God has been doing this for a long time. There's no openings for a quadrinity, and his ways aren't our ways. And the Bible says, in the fullness of time, he sent Christ. Christ did those miracles. But one of the things that, that's noteworthy about the miracles themselves as we go through John is that they, number one, they attracted people. They got people to come and listen to Jesus. So his goal wasn't to entertain, but to attract them through signs so that they would investigate more deeply and then he could challenge them to repent and make a decision to trust and follow him. 
So let's look at some verses in John. Go back to chapter 3. Jesus' miracles were the talk of the town. I mean, everybody was chattering about Jesus' miracles. Imagine what Facebook would have looked like back then. You know, maybe that's why God's like, it would have blown up the internet. Everybody's got to talk about Jesus' miracles. So everybody's trying to come up with an interpretation of them because Jews in Jesus' day were expecting the Messiah that was promised. He's going to come soon. And they knew that the Old Testament said Messiah will do miracles. Isaiah chapter 35, he will cause the lame to walk and the blind to see. And so when Jesus began his ministry, that's when he began to do miracles. Luke chapter 4, it says, he got up and read from the book, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel. But in that passage, he talked about healing the sick, making the blind to see. And so Jesus has, has people talking about his miracles. And in fact, some of them didn't like it. Remember, the religious leaders of Jesus' time did not like Jesus for many reasons. One is he was cutting into their moolah, right? And so it disturbed them that he was upsetting things. But one of their own rulers, John chapter 3 says this, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Verse 2 says, this man came to him by night. Now, I'm going to suggest that John's intentionally saying he was interested in Jesus, he was attracted by the miracles, but he was afraid to identify with Jesus. This could cut into my popularity. What will people think of me if, I, if I'm a follower of Christ? So he says, hey, Jesus, can I meet you at night? Later in the book, the Bible says the same Nicodemus who met him at night came right up to Pilate and asked if he could bury Jesus. So he had a, he had a progression where his faith became genuine. He wasn't ashamed but at this point, he comes to Jesus at night. But look at verse 2. It says, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So the miracles attracted Nicodemus. Go over to chapter 6. Verse 1. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. Verse 2 says, a great multitude was following him. Why? Because they were seeing the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Now we have to understand that not everyone who was following Jesus and watching those miracles was like, I want to be saved. I want to find Christ. I've been seeking God. Some of them were coming for all the wrong reasons. Jesus is like, don't come after me to get some free bread. But nevertheless, they attracted people. Over in chapter 12, it says, many people met him because they heard that he had performed these signs. You don't need to turn there. So it starts with that. Jesus did all these miracles. People would come and listen to him. That was the first thing. But the second thing that these signs did is they authenticated or they accredited Jesus. Meaning this. Jesus was not the only one in his time or today who claims to be divine, right? People are a dime a dozen who claim to be the Messiah, claim to be God. But Jesus understood that if I do miracles, then these will authenticate and attest to the fact that I am who I say I am. So, in John 7, 
Look at chapter 7 and verse 31. It says, many of the multitude believed in him, and they were saying, when the Christ shall come, he, he won't perform more signs than those which this man has, will he? And so Jesus, Jesus would appeal to this. He would say, I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. Look at my miracles. If you won't believe my words, turn over to chapter or 10 for a moment. Here's an example where He's claiming to be God, and they're like, we're going to kill you. And he goes, why are you killing me? Look at my miracles. They're attesting that I am the Messiah. Look at verse 37. Remember we said works is another word used of his miracles. If I don't do the works or the miracles of my Father, then don't believe me. But if I do them, though you don't believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. So the signs attract and they authenticate his message. But then he's going, if you believe that these miracles attest that I am who I say I am, then you need to start trusting me, obeying me, and following me. So this is really interesting because on many occasions people will ask me, why don't Jewish people believe that Jesus is the Messiah? And I think I've told you this before. I've gotten to the point that any of my Jewish friends, instead of me answering for them, I'll ask them. I'll say, um, I understand that Jewish people don't believe Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah. Why not? And then I'll ask a second question. How will you know when the Messiah does come? Because what you'll find is for many of them, they've been conditioned without investigation we just know he's not. Well, why not? Don't know. We just know he's not. Now, this isn't all of them, but most of them. Because when I ask the second question, well, how will you know when he is? Right? So what I'm trying to do is to probe them to say, hey, maybe you should go back and read your Bible. Right? And not to insult them, but to say, hey, the, the Old Testament is full of predictions about Messiah. Like Isaiah 53, right? but it also predicts that he would do miracles. Jesus did that. Jesus did everything that the Old Testament predicted about the Messiah. Why isn't he the Messiah? And what you'll find then is it's no longer intellectual, then it's volitional. I don't want to. I, don't, I realize the cost of saying, hey, I'm following Christ, and what it would cost me, and that's why many people go to hell. Not because they have intellectual problems, they have volitional problems. I don't want people to dislike me or I don't want to turn from my darkness. So as you think about that, you go, listen, that's one of the reasons I believe in the Lord Jesus and I trust and follow him is because of the signs that he did. But even there, the third and most important thing is to realize that signs were not just to accredit that he is who he said he was, but they were intended to persuade people to make a clear and willful decision to repent and to believe his message of salvation. So Rob, for the sake of time, we'll, we'll, we'll pass on from this slide, but go back to chapter 20. So notice, uh, and keep going, Rob, verse 31. Jesus performed many signs, but these have been written so that you might believe. Okay? So it's really important that we understand what it means to believe in Christ. Because... I don't know that we're going to find too many Americans who are going to go, 
I don't believe there ever was a Jesus. I think that's dumb. To believe that Jesus is the Messiah, is the Son of God, is both intellectual and volitional. It is not just a head acknowledgement, okay? The Bible says that even the devil believes. Like if you said to the devil, is Jesus the Messiah? He wouldn't go, no, I, I, I don't think so. The devil believes in his head. But when the Bible talks about believing in Christ, first of all, it's based on information, facts, words from the Bible, because we can't see Jesus, right? So when I choose to believe, I'm saying, hey, I believe what's written in this book is the word of God. But then I take those facts and I personally appropriate them. I trust that these promises are true and thereby I entrust myself to Jesus. This is why sometimes we, we use the phrase, give your life to Christ. So when someone truly believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the first thing that happens is that they have this information, these promises. Their faith is, is, has been awakened by God's word. No one can believe in Christ without hearing the Bible. Faith comes by hearing. But you read these gospel promises, right? And then as God works in someone's heart, they have this information, but then they make a decision to trust and, and depend on Christ. The Bible calls it receiving Christ. John 1.12, as many as receive Christ, to them he gives the right to be children of God all of those who believe in his name. But implied within this is a willful decision to follow him. Okay? That genuine biblical belief is a repentant belief, a faith that surrenders and is willing to follow. In other words, anyone would take free hell insurance, right? If Jesus says, hey man, just go do anything you want, but just sign the dotted line and you can have free hell insurance. So biblical faith, John says in John chapter 3, verse 16. Now this is crazy because many of you saw um, that Aaron Hernandez, the player from the Patriots this week, committed suicide. But I read an article that said he had, I don't know if he wrote it or someone else wrote, John 3.16 on his forehead. And you're like, that's weird, right? And yet, John 3.16, the verse we always go to, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But if you keep reading just two verses later, we find out that the reason most people don't believe like the Bible says is not because it's an intellectual lack of information. It's a volitional, willful unwillingness to follow him. So John says, this is the condemnation that Jesus came into the world but men love darkness rather than light, and their deeds are evil, and they won't come to the light. So here's where you and I need to ask ourselves. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Is your faith such that, first of all, you trust that Christ died for your sins and rose again, and that that's what's going to get you to heaven? And if you say that you believe that, then is there any evidence that you want to follow him by faith. Now, you might say, well, I don't know. I don't remember when that happened, Pastor. I'm not so sure. Listen, you don't need to know when you believe, but I'll tell you what. If you say to me, oh, I've always believed. Well, right there, that makes me think, I'm not sure you get it. Because you can't always believe. 
You were in darkness at one point. You might not remember that, but no one's born a believer. So at some point, as you heard the words of God and you, and you learned the gospel, the Lord worked in your heart and you put your faith in Christ and became a born-again follower of Christ. So somebody illustrated it this way. They said, you don't have to see the sunrise to know if the sun's out, right? So don't worry about if you can't remember when you believed. What you need to worry about is, do you believe? If you were to die now, and you stood before God, and he said, why should I let you into heaven? Does your mind quickly go to Christ? Because I believe that Christ died for my sins, and I've trusted him, and I've become a forgiven follower. So if you've trusted in him, there needs to come a time when you're no longer Nicodemus at night. I ain't telling nobody, you're crazy, right? The Bible says we are to come out and confess with our mouth. Believers in Christ are public followers of Christ. Ultimately, he calls us to be baptized as a public testimony that I've been forgiven and I've been saved. And I hope that as Christians here this morning, most of you know that you have believed. But if you haven't, you can do that right now. You can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. But as Christians, let me give you three other things to think about. First of all, as you think about these miracles, they should remind you and me that the same Jesus who did these signs, I need to continue to trust him when I go through trials. So on numerous occasions when Jesus did a miracle, right, soon afterwards the disciples would, would freak out when something went wrong, like the boat was sinking, and he was go, where is your faith? Why did you doubt? Why do you have such little faith? Remember the quote I shared at the beginning of the Gospel of John? Everyone wants to see a miracle. Nobody wants to be in a place to need one. So remember that God is, is working in our hearts to grow our Christian faith. And each time that we go through troubles, we can remember, hey, the same Jesus who did these miracles, I want to trust him. Secondly, they should remind us to have faith when we pray. Jesus talked about how we can see God do miracles in answer to prayer, but we have to believe. Jesus said in Matthew 17, the reason this guy wasn't healed is because of the littleness of your faith. If you have faith as a mustard seed, nothing will be impossible for you. We as a church are seeing the Spirit of God rolling like a river, right? But I wonder how much more the Lord wants us to have individual and corporate prayers of faith. Oh God, save many, save my kids. Pray for people that are sick. Pray for miracles of the Lord. Pray for people to be transformed. That's the greatest miracle. But it happens through prayers. Don't be like the church in Acts. You remember they're praying for Peter to be released and Peter's knocking on the door. They say, it can't be him, he's in jail. So we need to remember to pray and believe. And then third and finally for Christians, study the miracles. As Benjamin comes, Think about how, as we read about his miracles, we can learn spiritual lessons from them. There's a guy in the first service, when I was preaching from John 9, he came up to me, and since then, he's been gloriously saved. He goes, I'm like the blind man. The Lord opened my eyes, now I get it. Right? And then another guy said to me, and I told you this, he said, I, I, I hear. I, that's the first time I was able to hear the sermon. He wasn't deaf. God worked in his heart. God made him alive. So, as you think about the miracles and you're reading about them, make connections to your salvation. Sing about them. Remember the old song, Victory in Jesus. I heard about his healing, of his cleansing power revealing. 
how he made the lame to walk again. He caused the blind to see. And then you think about your conversion. And then I cried, dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory. And then we want to stand together and sing, oh, Vic, no, don't, don't. We don't have time. So, but, but use that, draw on that. The same Jesus is in our midst and he's alive and he's powerfully working and he wants us to trust him and believe him. So as we close this morning, some of you either have not become a believer or maybe recently have become a believer or even this morning you're going to become a believer. But if you have and you've never told anyone, you've never made that public, from time to time I just encourage people to come out of the darkness and just stand with me and publicly say, I'm a believer. Okay, not going to embarrass you in any way, but, but there's something that happens in the hearts of people when they go public as a Christ follower. So whether it's this morning or whether it's a, a long time ago, if you've become a believer and you haven't told anyone, you haven't identified yourself as a Christian, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. So if, if I were to ask you, do you believe that Jesus did miracles? And you go, yeah. Do you believe the words of Jesus? Well, yeah. Well, Jesus said, there's no other way to God but through me. Do you believe that? Yeah. Do you trust him as your Lord and Savior? Yeah. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. But if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. So coming up here and standing with me doesn't save you. And if you don't do it, it doesn't mean you're not saved. But don't delay. I'm not going to pressure you. This has to be the work of the Spirit. But if God's worked in your heart and you go, I want to be counted in. I just want to say, I believe. And you've never done that before. Come and stand with me. We're just going to sing this first line. Christians praying while you're singing. Pray together. If you have any questions, I'll be here afterward. If you want to talk to someone or you just need prayer, that's what we're here for, to minister to one another. May the Spirit of the Lord bless all of us today, Father. Thank you for the Lord Jesus and his wonderful miracles. May we all share the gospel of John with others.